Well, we're continuing in our Bible study on Ephesians called The Riches of Grace. We're on teaching number two entitled, Who is Paul? Previous teaching and most of the rest of the teachings should all be recorded live. I was not able to, to get teaching number two recorded live. So I'm sitting in an empty room and uh, I'm going to be teaching through Ephesians teaching number two in our series on Ephesians, The Riches of Grace. I think the content will be the same, so I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's helpful for you on our study. So um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Last week we did an overview of, of Ephesians, kind of setting the background for Ephesians. We're going to open up with Ephesians 1, 1, which says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle is someone on a mission with a message. It's someone who's sent on a mission with a message, much like a missionary, one sent on a mission with a message. So Paul was sent by Christ Jesus on a mission with a message. Uh, the mission was to go into cities all over the world. At that point in time, it was the Roman Empire to go into, into cities, to share the gospel of grace with people, to start grace-based churches so that churches then would become the communication centers of grace to the lost and the education centers of grace to the found. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So it's the will of God for the good news of God's grace to be shared with people. It's the will of God for churches to be started that share the good news of God's grace, both with those who are unbelievers and then to help believers come to a fuller understanding of the riches of grace, which is exactly what Paul is doing in Ephesians. He's writing to believers to help them come to a deeper, to a fuller understanding of grace. They've been saved by grace. Now Paul's helping them grow in the riches of grace. So it was the will of God for Paul to take the good news of grace to the people of the world. Now, Prior to Paul's passion for grace, which he became passionate about grace after his experience of grace with Jesus, prior to Paul's passion for grace, he was passionate about the law of Moses. He was involved in Judaism. He was raised in Judaism. And so let's take a look at Paul's life prior to grace. It was his life in the law. And first, we're going to look at Paul's commitment to Judaism. We're going to trace his commitment to Judaism to his relationship with Jesus. Galatians 1, 15 through 16, helps us understand Paul's commitment to Judaism. It says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among many people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my, father, of my fathers or those who came before him. So Paul was passionate about Judaism. Now Judaism is the law of Moses. Judaism can be found, the law can be found starting around Exodus 19 when the law was given to Moses all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, it's contained in the Jewish scriptures. So Paul was very studied in the law of Moses. He was very studied in Jewish scriptures. He understood Abraham, and he understood Moses and, and many of the, the great patriarchs of Judaism. And so he was advancing in Judaism uh, beyond most people of his age at that point in time. And he writes in Acts 23, 6, he says, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. He's given his testimony at this point in time. So Paul became a Pharisee. His dad was a Pharisee. 
Now, a Pharisee is a person who is committed to the law of Moses. They're committed to obedience to the law of Moses. Every waking moment that they have is a moment uh, of obeying the Ten Commandments, obeying the law of Moses. Uh, so they would create uh, laws in addition to other, the other laws in order to become holy, in order to become righteous before God. The reason they wanted to become righteous and holy before God was so that they could enter into the kingdom of God or so they could possess eternal life. You see this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see the Pharisees' goal was to enter into eternal life, was to live eternally in God's kingdom. The phrase eternal life and the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven are synonymous. So the goal of a Pharisee was to live forever in the kingdom of God. They understood that righteousness was required to enter the kingdom of God so that the unrighteous would perish in God's judgment, but the righteous would live forever in the kingdom of God. So uh, a Pharisee daily woke up with one goal in mind, obeying the Ten Commandments, obeying the law of Moses. Uh, they were passionate about the law. They were zealous to obey the law. They looked down on other people who didn't share their passion like to brag about their, their obedience to the law. They like to look down upon other people uh, who weren't as obedient to them. They like to judge other people because they weren't as obedient to the law of Moses as the Pharisees were. Paul goes on to talk about his commitment to Judaism in Acts 22, 2 through 4, 25, 5. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law. I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. So Paul grew up in a very strict religious home that demanded obedience to the law of Moses. He studied under Gamaliel, who was the top professor in Judaism. He was thoroughly trained in the law of Moses. So his daily life was a very strict approach to obeying the law of Moses, again, because he wanted to enter into the kingdom of God. And righteousness, standard for righteousness, we find out in Deuteronomy 6, the standard for righteousness is the Ten Commandments, is the law of Moses. So in order to enter the kingdom, you have to be righteous. And so if they obeyed the commandments enough, if they were disciplined enough, if they were strict enough, then they could gain righteousness under the law, or so they thought, enabling them then to enter into the kingdom of God. So Paul shares in Acts 22, 2 through 4, 25, 5, just some of his testimony after he became a believer. That's what he said to those who were listening to him. Again, we're looking at Paul's commitment to Judaism. Paul says in Philippians 3, 4 through 6, he says, if anyone thinks he has ground for confidence in the flesh, he's talking about his religious flesh, his moral flesh, flesh, his religious commitment, his moral commitment to the law of Moses. He says, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I will circumcise on the eighth day, eighth day of the people of Israel, of the, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was faultless. So Paul was very confident that his, his obedience to the law was that of being faultless. This is prior coming to know Christ, and he shares in this testimony that he talks about there in Philippians. He again talks more about his life under Judaism in Acts 22, 4, 25, 9. 
It says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. That's Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The followers of Christ became known as the way. He said, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. Paul was against Jesus. Jesus was full of grace to the prostitutes. The Pharisees looked down upon the prostitutes. They looked down upon the teachers. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the tax collectors. Jesus was full of grace to the prostitutes and to the, the tax collectors. He would have been full of grace to the teachers of the law, but they resisted his grace and uh, they wanted none, no part of his grace. And they hated the very grace that Jesus gave to the uh, to the sinners, whom that's what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law labeled people who weren't as righteous or as moral or as religious as they were. They they would call them sinners. If you notice, many times Matthew, Mark, and Luke quote place the word sinners in quote because they're quoting the Pharisees. Pharisees will say, "Why does Jesus eat with those sinners?" So uh, they hated Jesus uh, with a passion because of his grace to the broken, to the sinful, to those uh, who um, wanted, uh, wanted forgiveness. The grace that just poured from Jesus. The Pharisees hated Jesus. Paul hated Jesus. Many people were coming to faith in Jesus. And he was afraid that people were going to move away from true Judaism and begin following in his mind this false messiah named Jesus. So we find out more Paul's testimony in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out threats and murder against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest to ask for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women belonging to the way, he could bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Paul's hatred for Jesus and his hatred for the grace that flowed from Jesus and his fear that many people were turning to Jesus and were were believing in Jesus as the Messiah caused him to track down those who had come to faith in Christ. And uh, so he was on his way to Damascus. That's as far as this Jesus, Jesus movement has, had spread. So he was going as far as it had spread and he was going to try to stop it at that point. So this moves into us into number two is Paul's conversion to Jesus. So Paul was on his way to Damascus, and in Acts 22, 5 through 10, he begins to share his testimony with those who are listening about when he met Jesus on this road to Damascus. Paul said, I went there to Damascus to bring these people as prisoners to be punished. About noon, as I came toward Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus, he replied. What shall I do, Lord? Paul said. And the Lord said, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all you have been assigned to do. So Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. This was his first experience with grace. He writes about this experience in First, Test, uh, first Timothy when he talks about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured upon me abundantly. The love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, he says, was poured upon me abundantly. In, this, in these verses of Acts 22, 5 through 10, Jesus told Paul, There in Damascus you will be told all you've been assigned to do. Paul had an assignment from Jesus, and we're, we're going to find out that this assignment was to go into cities all over the world and share the good news of people in the cities and start grace-based churches so churches then could become communication centers of grace to the lost and education centers of grace 
to the found. In Acts 9, 15 through 16, the Lord appeared to Ananias and told Ananias to go to Paul and to communicate this message to Paul. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man Paul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. So the Lord Jesus chose Paul to proclaim the good news of God's grace to the Gentiles, and we see in this verse to the people of Israel, but we will see later on that the people of Israel rejected, for the most part, the good news of grace, and then Paul would go more predominantly to the Gentiles. So we've seen Paul's commitment to Judaism, his conversion to Jesus, and now we're going to look at Paul's communication with Jesus. Jesus tells Paul in Acts 25, 16 through 18, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. So there was this ongoing communication between the ascended Jesus and Paul. Jesus was instructing Paul in the good news of grace. He was instructing Paul in the truths of the new covenant. He was helping him further understand and fully understand grace, the gospel of grace, how the new covenant fulfilled the old covenant. So the ascended Jesus would meet with Paul. The ascended Jesus only discipled one person, and that was Paul. And then Paul would share what Jesus had taught him. So I, Jesus, have appeared to you, Paul, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I am sending you to them, that's the Gentiles, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now this is something really interesting we see in this verse, and we're going to look at it more fully in upcoming teachings in Ephesians. But as Paul went to the Gentiles, the heart of Jesus, for the, the hearts and the eyes of the Gentiles to be opened to the good news of grace. And when their, when their eyes and their hearts were opened to the good news of grace, which is grace is everything God has done for us in Christ. Grace is the fullness of what Jesus did for us at the cross, where he went to the cross. He died for all of our sins, for all time. According to 2 Corinthians 5, 19, God's not counting our sins against us. And the reason for that is because all of our sins were counted against Christ. He became sin for us so that through faith in Christ, we become righteous in the sight of God. Uh, we find out in Hebrews that he remembers our sins no more, that there's no sacrifice for sins left. Uh, so our sins have been fully and completely paid for by Jesus. And, and it was the heart of Jesus that the Gentiles, who are the non-Jews all over the world, and he wanted the, the Jews to see it as well. But Paul went predominantly to the Gentiles eventually in his ministry. But it was the heart of Jesus for the Gentiles' eyes to be opened so that they could turn away from darkness, which was the absence of truth, the absence of who is God. They, they didn't know about God, and, and Paul went to bring this revelation of the grace of God and the identity of God to the Gentiles. And once their eyes were opened, then they could turn away from the darkness to the light of Jesus, to the light of grace, and they could turn away from the power of Satan to the power of God. And we know that the power of God is the gospel of grace. We see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. The power of God, it's grace or the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And this salvation of grace produces transformation by grace. It's an enormous power 
the gospel. And so Paul was sent to share the good news of grace, the gospel of grace, the fullness of what Christ has done for us to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. Of course, many of the Jewish people rejected that at that point in time. So Jesus said, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. Now you notice in Acts 25, 16 through 18, that forgiveness of sins is something people receive. For most of my life, uh, not most of my life, up until about the age of 24, I thought forgiveness was something that God was waiting on me to ask him for. So daily I would ask God for forgiveness, thinking each time I asked for forgiveness, then he would forgive me. But then as I began to study scripture, as I began to learn about the gospel of grace and the fullness of what God had done for me in Christ, that forgiveness is not something I ask God for. It's really the very opposite. God is asking me to receive forgiveness through faith in Jesus. So God's not waiting on us to ask for forgiveness. He's waiting on people to receive by faith the forgiveness that Jesus has already purchased for us at the cross. And when people hear the good news of grace, they hear the message of grace, then they respond by faith. And the message of grace, the message of the cross is all your sins were counted against Christ. Jesus really did pay for all sins, for all people, for all time. And by faith, we receive forgiveness. Uh, I used to think, well, then I have to stay in fellowship with God by continuing asking for forgiveness based upon a false understanding of 1 John 1, 9. But then I begin to understand that fellowship with Jesus is secured, just like forgiveness is secured and fellowship is secured by the blood of Christ. I don't maintain forgiveness. I don't, upta- or I don't maintain forgiveness and I don't maintain fellowship. They're fully given to to me and to everyone who believes in Christ. We are forgiven. We are in fellowship with God. And 1 John 1, 9 is simply uh, written to help people understand that when a person comes to their point in life, if they will confess or acknowledge or admit their sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive our sins based upon what Christ has done at the cross and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He, He extends that forgiveness and that righteousness to us. It's not a verse for believers to continue to seek forgiveness so that they can be in fellowship. In 1 John, if you look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, it's writing to those who have been forgiven. He's not writing to people who need to keep being forgiven. Sometimes I'm asked, well, Brad, what do you do when you sin or what do you tell people to do when they sin? I think we do exactly what John told the believers in 1 John chapter 1, or I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, if any of you do sin, he reminds them that Christ is the propitiation, the one who has fully paid your sin penalties, pointing them to the finished and the full work of Christ. So what do we do when we sin? We just live in thankfulness that we're forgiven. Uh, some will say, well, well, then that's giving people license to sin. Well, what people do with grace reveals a lot about their hearts. Paul definitely deals with that issue in Romans chapter 6. Will people use grace as a license to sin? Some will, but the majority won't. The majority are changed by grace. Their lives totally change by the gospel of grace. Will some use grace as a license of sin? Absolutely. Uh, Jude 4 talks about godless men who exchange grace as a license to sin. So anyone who would say, well, I can sin all I want to now that I'm 
under grace and not under law. According to Jude, that they're godless. God doesn't live in them. What somebody does with grace reveals if Christ truly lives in their heart or not. Now, are we tempted to sin because we're under grace? Are we still going to periodically give in to sin? Will some people be addicted to sin and struggle with sin? Absolutely. But their purpose or, or their reason for sinning is not because they're under grace. It's because th- there's a battle between the spirit and between the flesh. And they, th- those people need to understand grace in that, in that battle. So grace is something that God has given us in Christ. Part of what God has given us in Christ that is included in grace is forgiveness. And we receive the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ, according to Acts twenty-five sixteen through eighteen. Not only do we receive forgiveness of sins, but we also receive a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Me. So we're made holy by faith in Jesus. The blood of Christ has made us holy. Sanctification is not a process that um, that so often is taught, or a progressive sanctification where we become more and more holy. We are declared to be holy when we place our faith in Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about that we've been made holy once and all through the blood of Christ. So sanctification is not a process or a, prog- a progressive spiritual pursuit where we become more holy. We are sanctified. It is permanent, and we receive that sanctification or that holy standing before God when we place our faith in Jesus. And that's directly from the words of Jesus. Again, here's what Jesus tells Paul. I am sending you to them, this is the words of Jesus, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they, here's what Jesus says, may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in me. Now, forgiveness after the cross of Christ is received by faith. Now, forgiveness before the cross of Christ is conditional, such as in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6 or Matthew chapter 18. It's conditional. If you forgive others, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. After the cross, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter um, chapter 4, that we're to forgive one another as God has forgiven us. So there's a, there's a difference there. One is we forgive to be forgiven before the cross. After the cross, we forgive because we have been forgiven and we've received that forgiveness by faith. Paul goes on to talk about that he received this gospel of grace directly from Jesus in Acts chapter 1, 11 through 12. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel, this gospel of grace I preached, is not of human origin. I did not receive this gospel from any man, Paul didn't receive it from Matthew, from Mark, from Luke, from John, from James. He said, did I, receive, I did not receive this gospel that I, that I teach, that I preach, that I proclaim from any man, nor was I taught it by any man. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So the gospel of grace was given to Paul directly by Jesus. This new understanding of what the cross accomplished. So when we really go to understand what the cross accomplished, we go to Romans and Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians, to the letters of Paul, to Hebrews. I think Paul more than likely wrote Hebrews to understand what Jesus did for us at the cross. I'm sorry, I said Acts 1, 11 through 12. That was Galatians chapter 1, 11 uh, through 12. 
where Paul talks about receiving that. And in Galatians, Paul uh, is, is writing his letter to the Galatians because they've deserted grace. They've, they've walked away from depending upon Jesus for righteousness and they've gone back to the law to depend upon their ability to keep the law of Moses for a righteous standing before God. Paul writes in Galatians 2.21, he said, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Paul received his message of grace directly from Jesus. Now, Paul took this gospel into cities all over the Roman Empire at the time. Paul writes about this mission that Jesus sent him on to take the message of grace into the cities of the world. And he writes about this, or Luke actually writes about it, and uh, he records what Paul communicated to the Ephesian elders. And we'll look at this, uh, the rest of it, a little bit later. But he's, he's communicating to the elders of the church in Ephesus who oversee that church. And Luke records what Paul told this group in Acts 20, 23 through 24. Paul said, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So there we see that Paul went into cities to take the good news of grace to people in cities. And it was going to be a difficult task. He said, however, as I go into cities and I face these difficulties, imprisonments, difficult, difficult times, hardships, he said, I consider myself worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Now, this is the ascended Jesus given, uh, giving Paul a task to complete. He says, if I only may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And now he's going to identify what is the task, what is the race that the ascended Jesus gave Paul. He said the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace or the good news of God's grace. So Jesus sent Paul into cities to communicate the good news of God's grace which is everything God has done for us in Christ, the fullness where all of our sins have been paid for. Through, through faith in Christ, we receive forgiveness. Through faith in Christ, we receive the gift of righteousness. We receive the gift of eternal life. We're justified. We become innocent before God because Jesus took our guilt. Paul writes about this administration of grace that he was given in Ephesians 3, 2 through 3. He says, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace, that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. So Paul was given the revelation of grace, God's grace, by Jesus to take to the Gentiles. Part four, we're going to look at Paul is compelled to reach people with grace and teach people about grace. We've looked at Paul's commitment to Judaism, Paul's conversion to Jesus, Paul's communication with Jesus, and now we're going to look that Paul is compelled to reach people with and teach people about grace. 2 Corinthians 4.15 says this. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He says, All of this is for your benefit, or everything that I go through to get grace to you, all the difficulties, all the hardships that I experience on my missionary journey to get the message of grace to you. He says, all this is that I go through is for your benefit, so that the grace, the all this is the mission, so that the grace, that's the message, that is reaching more and more people. So it's the heart of, it was the heart of Jesus to reach more and more people with the message of grace. Again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.15, 
All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Uh, the beauty of this verse here is, is that as people come to understand the grace of God, they see how good God is. And once people see how good God is, it causes their hearts to overflow with gratitude to God for the grace that he's freely given them in Christ. I mean, this gratitude is produced when a person understands that their sins are forgiven, that they've been given the gift of righteousness and the gift of eternal life. And these are gifts given to us by God, and they're received freely by, by faith in what Jesus has done for us. Uh, just an amazing, and amazing message of grace that Paul would take into these cities. And as people heard Paul explain the gospel of grace to them, uh, their hearts would overflow with thanksgiving to God. They would see the greatness of God and the grace of God, and then their hearts would overflow in gratitude to God for His grace. Paul writes about the gospel in Romans 1, 16 through 17, this gospel of grace. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. Grace is for everybody, and it's there to believe. It's there to receive by faith. For in the gospel, in this gospel of grace, and Paul expounds upon it in Romans, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. See, Paul was not ashamed of this gospel of grace. Paul was not ashamed to teach that, that a way, the way a person becomes righteous before God is not through religious activity, it's not through morality. It's not through meeting certain religious expectations or certain moral expectations. It's not through having certain religious experiences. It's not through a disciplined lifestyle. That the way a person becomes right before God, forgiven by God, is by faith in Jesus. And Paul explains that truth in the book of Romans. And he was not ashamed of this gospel. What Paul is saying here, what Paul's not saying is that um, he's not ashamed of Jesus. So often when people read Romans 1.16, when it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, they read that as being not ashamed of Jesus. That's not what Paul's saying here. Certainly he wasn't ashamed of Jesus, but he wasn't ashamed of the grace that Jesus gave him to teach other people. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel or the good news of grace that's contained in Romans and his other letters, Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, and, and Hebrews. He wasn't ashamed of this gospel. Now, I've met a lot of believers, and the majority of believers that I've met are not ashamed of Jesus. I've met many, though, and most of them are, are leaders of churches over the course of since I was 24, who they weren't ashamed of Jesus, but they were ashamed of the gospel. They were ashamed of grace. I had one pastor teach, Tell me, Brad, what you're teaching is exactly right. But if I taught this in my church, I would lose my job. Um, I had another pastor tell me, Brad, what you're teaching is right. But if I teach this at my church, I'll be accused of being against the law. I'll be accused of giving people a license to sin. I'll be accused of easy believism and greasy grace. So they were ashamed of the gospel. Believers, yes. Trusting in Christ for salvation, yes but ashamed of the gospel uh, because they, they wanted the acceptance of other people. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, he said, if, if, he said you know, I don't care if people reject me for teaching the gospel, that, that I'm not seeking the acceptance of others as I teach this gospel of grace. 
He said, if I seek the acceptance of others and I try to avoid the rejection of others in my preaching, then I'm not a servant of Christ. I'm not serving the ministry that Jesus sent me on. I'm not fulfilling the mission and fully com- communicating the message of grace that Jesus sent me on if I hold back the message because I crave the acceptance of, of others. Um, what I've discovered is when somebody fully teaches the gospel of grace, there is going to be rejection. You will be rejected. Uh, sometimes it's by people in your denomination. Sometimes it's by people in your church. Sometimes it's by people in your family. Sometimes it's by people in your small group or in your Sunday school class. Most of the time, it's going to be by the leaders of the ministry that you're a part of. I've discovered that the, that, that the average believer really responds to grace as with the words, why hasn't anybody told me this before? Why haven't I ever been taught this before? It's clear in Scripture, uh, they will tell me. So, yeah, so Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Now, Paul talks uh, about the really the content of the gospel, the heart of the gospel in Romans three twenty one through 24. He says, but now a righteousness from God or a way to become right before God, apart from the law. Now, remember, Paul used to try to become righteous before God, right before God, through the law. And now he's communicating a totally different message. It's a righteousness from God apart from the law. He, Paul got the message of Romans from the ascended Jesus. He's writing out what Jesus taught him. He's carrying out what Jesus assigned him to do, to declare to people how to be righteous, how to receive forgiveness, how to be sanctified, which is by faith. In Jesus, so Paul says, a, now a righteousness or a way, to be, a way to be right before God, not guilty before God, forgiven by God, holy in the presence of God, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What a beautiful, beautiful set of verses here. That righteousness is available for everybody. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how many times you promised God you would do better or promised people in your life you would do better, that being right before God doesn't come through following a moral code, doesn't come through following a set of religious standards, doesn't come by following a ministry's prescription for being righteous, a ministry's organ, a ministry organization, fulfilling the requirements of the organization or the requirements of the denomination, that righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The only requirement for becoming righteous before God is faith. Because faith receives what grace has achieved. God, through Christ, by grace, did everything for us, leaving us nothing to do. And we receive by faith what Jesus has done. I know that scares many, many leaders that they're so afraid of, boy, if people hear this message, they're just going to go sin. And that's so far from the truth, so far from the truth. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it's the law that increases sin. And grace teaches us to say no to sin and to live right lives, upright lives, as we await the coming of Jesus. Grace goes into the heart of a person. It's the power of God. It's the gospel. 
And so grace is so powerful that it changes the hearts and the lives of people. So again, Paul says in Romans 3, 21 through 24, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God, and it's, the, it's from God, this idea that righteousness comes by faith through Jesus, it's not from me. I, I'm not communicating a message that I've made up. I'm communicating a message that's from God and came through Jesus to Paul, and now he's writing to us in Romans. So this message of, of becoming right before God through faith in Jesus to all who believe comes from God. Not all who behave, not all who try, not all who are earnest in their efforts, but just believe. Paul goes on to say there's no difference, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God is his righteousness, his love, his kindness, his goodness, his character. We've all fallen short of who God is. But we're justified, 324, freely. Or we're made innocent freely. We're forgiven freely. We're made right. We're declared to be forgiven and declared to be righteous and declared to be innocent freely. That means we don't earn a right standing before God. We don't earn forgiveness from, from God. That it comes to us free and it comes to us full and it comes to us forever and we receive it by faith in Jesus. We are justified freely, according to Romans 3.24, by His grace, by what Jesus did for us on the cross. We are justified freely by His grace, and he explains what this grace is, through the redemption or through the payment of our sins that came by Jesus Christ. So Jesus went to the cross, and all of our sins were nailed to the cross. All of our unrighteousness was placed upon Christ. And it's this grace exchange where Jesus exchanges his righteousness, his innocence, and he takes upon himself our unrighteousness and our guilt. And in exchange, he gives us his righteousness and he gives us his innocence. It's the redemption. It's the payment. And by faith, we receive what Christ has done. Paul writes in Romans 3.26, where we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul had to maintain that message because religious leaders will try to water down this message of, of righteousness by grace through faith. They'll try to add works to it. They'll try to add spiritual disciplines to it. They'll try to have, add denominational responsibilities to it. They'll, they'll add something to it because they're so afraid that the good news of grace is going to lead people to sin, and they're so prideful that, no, they won't take grace as a license of sin, but those other people sure will, that they water down this message of grace that a person is justified by faith apart from, from the works of the law or the works of any religious system. And as, as communicators of grace, as teachers of grace, we've got to maintain the same message that Paul maintained, which was how... A person becomes righteous before God. It's the message that comes from God. It's the message that Jesus taught Paul. It's the message that he taught us. And it's the message that we teach others. Paul again writes about this gospel of grace in Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been, that's permanent, justified, made righteous, declared to be forgiven, declared to be innocent before God, since we have been justified through faith, that's faith in Jesus, not works, not behavior, not effort, but through faith. We have peace with God. That means that everything is right between God 
in the person who's come to faith in Jesus. They don't have to fear God's judgment. They don't have to fear God's wrath. They don't have to fear God's punishment because they're at peace with God because the judgment of God for sins were poured upon Christ. The wrath of God for sins was poured upon Christ. The Bible says God uh, demonstrates his love toward us in Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took our judgment. He took our death. He took the punishment of sin upon himself. And now we're at peace with God, which means you are forgiven if you've come to faith in Christ. You're righteous. You're innocent. You're in fellowship with God because of what Jesus has done for you. Therefore, Romans 5, 1 through 2, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Now, how does a person enter into peace with God? We just talked about it. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, through what Christ did for us, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So you and I relate to God from a place of grace. What enables us to relate to God from a place of grace? It's faith. We place our faith in Jesus, and now we stand in grace. We relate to God based upon what Christ has done for us. We stand in the fact that we're forgiven. We stand in the fact that we're righteous. We stand in the fact that we're innocent before God. We stand in, uh, in the fact that Christ took all of our guilt. He took all of our unrighteousness, and he has given us all of his righteousness. He's given us all of his innocence. We, we stand assured of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Our foundation for our relationship with God is grace. By faith, Paul says, we've gained access by faith into this grace, into the work of Christ, this grace in which we now stand. There was a time in my life where I stood with one foot on my spiritual disciplines and one foot on the work of Christ thinking that it was a combination of my spiritual disciplines and the work of Christ, which enabled me to be at peace with God. Now, I knew I was saved. I knew salvation is by grace through faith, but I had a messed up theology based upon a messed up theology that I was communicated in my, probably from about 19-year-old to about 24-year-old. And then when I finally began understanding grace, I began to understand that my spiritual disciplines is, are not what makes me right with God. They're not what causes me to abide in Christ. They're not what causes me to feel good about my relationship with God. I used to think that practicing spiritual disciplines were expected by God. Hey, have your quiet time every day. Read your Bible every day. Have no unconfessed sin in your life. Keep short accounts on sin. And then I began understanding in Scripture that my account was nailed to the cross. So why am I keeping a, a short account on sins when my complete account was nailed to the cross? And I began standing in grace. I began, oh, okay, I am forgiven. I don't maintain forgiveness. I am righteous. I am at peace with God. I, I'd been taught, Brad, yeah, these are positionally true. You're forgiven. You're righteous. You're innocent. But practically, you have to maintain your innocence. You have to maintain fellowship. You have to maintain forgiveness. Jesus didn't go to the cross for positional truth alone and, and as if practically positional truth has no bearing upon our lives. Jesus went to the cross for all sins, for all people, so that we could live practically and relationally and daily in the fullness of what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
So we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, if people want to practice spiritual disciplines, certainly they're free to do that. But they don't earn anything with God. They don't, they don't even cause spiritual growth because so many devotionals that people read in their daily quiet times are mixed with legalism. And I think about what did the people do back during Paul's time when they had no, they had no Lifeway bookstore they could go to. They had no Amazon to buy the latest daily devotional. They didn't even have a Bible. I mean, that, they didn't even know what a quiet time was or a daily devotion was. But there was something that caused them to grow. And what caused growth in them was the gospel. It was the communication of the gospel that causes growth. I've been taught if you want to grow, practice the spiritual disciplines. Well, once I began understanding the gospel of grace, I realized, I, I realized I'd never grown practicing spiritual disciplines. I'd, I had I was living in guilt uh, for missing my daily disciplines and quiet times. But I'd never grown in my relationship with God. Now, people understand the gospel of grace and they want to have spiritual disciplines or quiet times and devotions. They're more than welcome to do that. I was talking to somebody recently, and they said, Brad, since I've heard you speak, now I feel guilty for having devotionals. <laughs> and that's not my goal. I don't want anybody to feel guilty for having a devotional, nor do I want anybody to feel guilty for not having one. Neither one of them earn anything with God, but if somebody enjoys spiritual disciplines, certainly I, I don't say don't do these, but just to understand that, that they're done in an environment of grace. It's, it's what Jesus did for you at the cross that... Uh, makes you right with God. Now, so certainly enjoy the, the quiet time and the devotions uh, if that's it, you you want to do those things. Paul says in Romans five seventeen, those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. So righteousness is a, an abundant provision of grace that's given to us and that we receive. Again, we don't ask God for righteousness. We don't ask God for forgiveness. We receive. God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness through faith. That's Romans 5.17. Galatians 4.24-25. So the law, Paul says, was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. So the law was there to show us our sin, just like a mirror shows us our face is dirty or an x-ray machine shows us that we're sick. Then the mirror leads us to the soap and the x-ray machine leads us to a doctor. The law was there to show us that our hearts were dirty, and we need Jesus. We need grace. That's the purpose of the law. It's not that the law is bad. No more than a mirror is bad and no more than an x-ray machine is bad. They just show us the sickness and the dirtiness that's within us and leads us to Jesus who took all the sickness of our sin and all the dirtiness of our sin and was placed upon Jesus at the cross. And by faith, we now become clean and righteous and innocent before God and when we come to faith in Christ, the Bible says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law or any system or standard or expectations that we have to do certain things to be righteous or to be clean or to be forgiven by God. When faith has come, we stand in grace. Paul says in Romans 10:4, for Christ is the end of the law to bring righteousness to everyone who believes. Galatians 2:21. Paul said, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Boy, that's a great statement. If there's anything we can do to make ourselves right with God, to obtain forgiveness, to obtain fellowship, maintain these things, then Christ died for nothing. We receive 
the work of Christ by faith. He died for something. Jesus died for someone, and that someone is you, and that someone is me. And now he offers us what he did for us. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us righteousness. He offers us innocence. He offers us eternal life. And all those things are called grace, and we receive them by faith in Jesus. Galatians 5, 4 says, You who are trying to be justified by the law, you've alienated yourself from Christ. You have fallen from grace. So what does it mean to fall from grace? I used to think and had been taught that it meant to fall back into a lifestyle of sin where I was now out of uh, fellowship with God, uh, not right with God. But to fall from grace, according to Galatians 5, 4, is to put forth moral and religious effort to make ourselves righteous before God, to make ourselves acceptable to God, to make ourselves innocent to God. To fall from grace is to fall away from everything Jesus did for us and seek to be righteous as if Jesus did nothing for us, which is what Paul talked about in Galatians 2.21, the verse we just read. So it's putting forth effort. It's the opposite of faith. If I'm putting forth effort to be right with God, then I'm not walking by faith in what Jesus did for me. See, we abide. Abiding in Christ is done by faith. We abide in the finished work of Christ by faith in the finished work of Christ. We abide in the fullness of what Christ did. We abide in the fact that we are forgiven. We abide in the fact that we are righteous. We abide in the fact that we are in fellowship with God. And we abide in these truths by faith. And then we, we stay in grace when we live a life of faith in the finished work of Christ. And the moment we try to earn what God has freely given us in Christ, we've fallen from grace. So those who fall from grace aren't those who are living a lifestyle of sin. Those who fall from grace are those who are living a legalistic lifestyle where they have fallen into a lifestyle of religious works, of religious disciplines, thinking that these somehow merit something with God when they absolutely merit nothing with God. The only thing that merits anything with God is the work of Christ on the cross, is his crucifixion, is his blood, is his resurrection, is his ascension, and is his work within us, Christ uh, in us, the hope of glory. Paul talks about in Colossians. Okay, so we've looked at Paul's commitment to Judaism, his conversion to Jesus, his communication with Jesus. We looked at Paul was compelled to reach people with and teach people about grace. And now what I want us to take a look at is Paul's connection to the church in Ephesus, which is the book that we're studying. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9, Paul talks about uh, his time in Ephesus. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me, even though many oppose me. So in Ephesus, God had opened a door of grace for Paul to go into this city and tell people about grace. It was an effective work that was opened to Paul. Paul, the message of grace was very effective in the hearts and lives of people in Ephesus. As he communicated the gospel of grace in Ephesus, he said, many people oppose me. Now, that's true today. I've, I've been opposed, this message that I teach, I've been opposed by many religious leaders and ministry leaders, denominations, pastors, 
uh, who've opposed this gospel of grace that we've been talking about and studying in Scripture. Paul went through the same opposition. He was slandered. He was ridiculed as giving people license to sin or just telling people they can sin all the more. Since grace shows how good God is and the more we sin, the more grace we get, then Paul's just telling people to go, go sin it up out in the world because the more they sin, the more people see how good God is because he gives them more grace. Paul was slandered like this uh, and he was opposed. Uh, and it still happens today as people share the good news of God's grace in its fullness without watering it down with uh, a lot of religious expectations and uh, things that just aren't a part of the gospel. Paul writes in Acts 18, 18 through 21 about Ephesus as well. Paul, Paul says, Paul remained in Corinth. Luke writes in Acts 18, 18 through 21, Paul remained in Corinth for quite some time before saying goodbye to the brothers. And then when they reached Ephesus, Paul parted ways with Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue there and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a while longer, he declined. So, he, so when they reached Ephesus, Paul went into the synagogue and he, he reasoned with the Jews about Christ and the work of Christ. And they asked him to stay a little bit longer. But as he left, he said, I will come back to you again if God is willing. And he set sail from Ephesus. So he made a stop in Ephesus where he initially shared the gospel of grace. He left. Acts 19, 8 through, 18, uh, 8 through 10, Paul writes about his Again, time in Ephesus. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the interior and came to Ephesus. Then Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months. So he's he, in those synagogues, he's speaking to the Jewish people and the leaders about the identity of Christ as Messiah and the work of Christ on the cross, his resurrection, uh, his ascension, his return. Then Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively or debating people about the kingdom of God and Christ and his return to establish that kingdom. But when some of them stubbornly refused to believe, boy, does that happen today with religious leaders? They, they can be so stubborn to the gospel of grace. They can refuse to believe that, that good news of the gospel. Uh, they, they, they can be ashamed of it, as Paul writes about in Romans chapter 1. But when some of those in the synagogue stubbornly refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way. Paul took his disciples and left the synagogue to conduct daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And wouldn't you like to have been there to in, in this uh, daily discussions, uh, listening to Paul in this lecture hall, talk about, communicate, educate people about Jesus and about grace and about the work of Christ on the cross uh, there in Ephesus. And Paul continued to go into this lecture hall for two years. It says this continued for two years so that everyone who lived in the province of Asia, which is where Ephesus was, Jews and Greeks alike, heard the word of the Lord. Now notice, it wasn't the word of Paul that they heard. It was the word of the Lord. Now what is the word of the Lord that they heard through the words of Paul? Well, remember that the ascended Jesus gave Paul the message of grace to take on a mission to people around the world to tell people about the good news of all that God had done for us in Jesus. As Paul, uh, Jesus called it the gospel of grace. Paul called it the administration of grace, the good news of grace. So Paul got to teach in Ephesus about this good news. Uh, for two years, it says, he continued in the lecture hall to share with people the word of the Lord. 
Now, Paul writes about when he left Ephesus and he was going to Jerusalem, he knew that he would never see the elders of the church in Ephesus again. He wanted to see them, and he was in a little place called Mount Miletus. And um, it says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said, so the elders, Paul sent for the elders of the church. He, he wanted to talk with the elders before he went to Jerusalem. He knew he would never be back in Ephesus again. He knew he would never be able to communicate to the people again verbally. And he had a message for the elders. And here's the message for the elders. It says, when the elders came to him, uh, this is in, in Acts chapter 20, verse seven, verses 17 through 36. So from Miltus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. He's talking about in Ephesus. From the first day I arrived in the province of Asia, in Ephesus. He said, I served the Lord with great humility, with tears, and with the trials I faced through the plots of the Jews. They were so against Paul's message of grace, and they were against the message of Jesus. Constantly, the Jews were plotting against Paul to shut him up and to get rid of him. They, they, they ran him out of Galatia. They were trying to run him out of Ephesus. But Paul said, I did not shrink back from declaring anything that was helpful to you as I taught you publicly and from house to house. So Paul would teach both publicly about the gospel of grace, and then he would teach in small groups about the gospel of grace from house to house. Since I did not shrink back from declaring anything that was helpful to you as I taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and Greeks alike about repentance to God or turning to Jesus in faith, turning away from works, turning away from religious systems, turning away from effort. Repentance means to turn away from. And Paul, this word repentance means turning away from seeking to gain righteousness before God through a religious system. Uh, a right standing with God through a religious system, through a moral system, and turning to faith in Jesus. That's grace. And Paul goes on to tell the Ephesians, and now, compelled by the Spirit, uh, and this is verse 23, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. And then in verse 24, I only know that in town after town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are awaiting me, difficulties, hardships, Paul says. And then in verse 24, he says, But I consider my life worth nothing to me, of no value to me. If only I may finish the race or the course and complete the ministry I've received from the Lord Jesus. So Paul received this ministry from the Lord Jesus. He's going to tell us exactly what is the ministry that Paul received from the Lord Jesus. The ministry of testifying to the gospel or the good news of God's grace. That's why they were people were opposed to Paul. He communicated the gospel of grace in Ephesus. Uh, he was given a hard time about it. They plotted against him. They wanted to get rid of him, get him out of town. They again had run him out of Galatia. Now they're trying to get him out of. They tried to get him out of Ephesus. But he stayed there, and he continued to teach. Paul goes on to say, Now I know, this is in verse 25, Now I know that none of you among who I preach the kingdom will see my face again. So Paul taught that in order to enter the kingdom of God, it required righteousness. 
He taught that a way a person becomes righteous in order to enter the kingdom of God, in order to have eternal life, isn't through obedience to the Ten Commandments. It's allowing the Ten Commandments to show us our sinfulness so that we'll come to faith in Jesus for righteousness. And once the commandments have shown a person their sinfulness, it leads them to faith in Jesus for righteousness. Then they leave behind the law and they move forward in grace. Now, Paul did teach a lot about morality in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Romans toward the end, and and uh, in Colossians. Uh, but he never teaches about morality as ways to become righteous. He talks about them as put off the old way you used to live before you became came to faith in Christ before you understood the grace of our Lord Jesus and put on the new way of living that matches who you are in Christ now, his holy one, his saint, his righteous and forgiving one. So Paul says in verse 25, Now I know that none of you, that's the elders, that none of the elders among you whom I have preached the kingdom of God will see my face again. Paul knew he would never see them again. And he, he wanted to get them this message. And we're going to hear what is the message he desperately wanted to communicate to the elders. He said, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Paul had communicated the gospel of grace. He said, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole will of God. Now the whole will of God includes the gospel of grace. It, it's where we move from law to grace, from old covenant to new covenant from Israel to the church. We don't mix the parts of, of God's uh, will at certain points in time to people with one another. We communicate the whole thing. We communicate it in context, and we, we, we relate to God now based upon the will of God, which is the New Testament, which is the New Covenant. And by New Testament, I mean the blood of Christ, not the books that start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but by the blood of Christ. Uh, Paul talks about the New Testament in um, in in the book of Hebrews, so he said, "For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole will of God, and the whole will of the will of God now is that we relate to God through the new covenant, through the cross of Christ." Uh, again, read Hebrews chapter ten for that. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole will of God, and then he tells the the church leaders, the elders in Ephesus, he tells them this: Keep watch over yourselves. One is. As an elder, it will be very easy, Paul says, for you to go back to the law, for you to go back to a works-based righteousness, for you to, to move back into legalism. So you have to keep watch over yourself and make sure you continue to stand in grace as a leader. As church leadership goes, so the church goes. So Paul is helping the elders understand how important it is that they themselves stay in grace. So he says, keep watch over yourselves and the entire flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So elders are overseers of the church family, of the flock, of the, sheeps of the sheep of the church. Now a shepherd, an overseer, protects the sheep. And Paul writes about this. He says, keep watch over yourselves and the entire flock of which the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit has made you an elder, someone to watch out for the church. He says, as an elder, you're to be shepherds, in the next verse, of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So he's talking about the finished work of Christ. He's talking about the new covenant that was put into effect through the blood of Christ, that the shepherds of the church are to protect the church from old covenant 
teachings coming in, from legalistic teachings coming in, and is to the church family is to relate to God based upon the work of Christ on the cross, the blood of Christ. Be shepherds as elders. Take care of the church family. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now notice what Paul's about to say in the following verses. I know that after my departure, when I leave Ephesus, when I'm gone from you, when I leave you, the elders, that when I leave, he says, I know that after my departure, these are strong words Paul's about to give. He says, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. There will be, Paul said, religious leaders, spiritual teachers, who will come into the church of Ephesus. Paul called them savage wolves, and they will attack the sheep of the church. They will not spare the flock. They will attack them with false teaching. They will attack them with false doctrine. They will attack them with legalism. They will attack them with the law. They will attack them with requirements and rules and expectations and put upon the backs of people these requirements that they have to do if they're going to be right with God. And this is a church that was purchased by the, the blood of Jesus. And now we're, we're th th these, these savage wolves, as Paul called them, are going to get people to move away from the blood of Christ for righteousness and for fellowship and for forgiveness and in, into some type of system, some type of denominational system, some type of religious system. Paul said, I know, I am confident, he says, that when I leave, after my departure, savage wolves, these religious leaders, will come in among you. They did it in Galatia. We see an example of that in Galatia. And the church departed grace, and they went back to the law, which broke Paul's heart. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And notice what he says here, even from your own number, so not only would they come in from the outside, but they would arise from the inside of the church. Even from the inside of the church, from your own number, maybe even some of the elders he's talking about, your own number of elders. Men will rise up and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. They will pull people away from the gospel of grace. They will pull people away from the finished work. They will pull people into a religious system, into religious expectations in order to be right with God. And it will no longer be completely on the work of Christ. It will be a mixture of what they do and what Christ has done, which is what was happening in many of the churches that Paul started. And we, we see just a glaring example of that in Galatians. So even from your own number, as he tells the uh, elders, men will rise up and distort the truth to draw away disciples or learners after them. So he says to the elders these words, in light, of, in light of what I just told you, Paul, in light of what I just communicated to you, he says, therefore be alert and remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now what did Paul warn the elders about for three years? And now he's making this final warning to them that law-based people, legalists, will come into the church in Ephesus and will seek to destroy the church by pulling people away from the final work of Christ, from the finished work of Christ, from the full work of Christ. And they will try to move them away from standing in grace by faith 
move them away from the fullness of the gospel, and then move them to a set of religious expectations of observing, uh, whether it's the law of Moses, some of it, all of it, mixing it with Christ, some other religious standards, some other new way of relating to God. Uh, and they'll come up with, with some set of rules, some set of disciplines, some set of regulations, um, experiences or expectations that, uh, that in order to be right with God, in order to stay forgiven by God, and in order to have eternal life, you have to do these things. It's Jesus plus something. And Paul warned them from three, for three years that these people were coming. And now he's making this final warning. Not only are they going to come in from the outside, but elders, they're going, to, they're going to come in from the inside or they're going to arise from the inside as well, possibly from some of the own, your own elders that these people will arise. So Paul said this. He said, Elders, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Notice what he tells the elders. I commit you to God that you do God's work in this church, that you oversee this church and protect this church from the legalists who would come in and try to tell people that in order to be right with God, you're going to have to do these things. You're going to have to follow these rules, these regulations, have these experiences, meet these expectations. He says, I'm, I'm committing you to God, and I'm committing you to the word of his grace, which is an amazing statement by Paul. Paul's telling the elders there that, that the church is to be a communication center of grace, to be the education center of grace, communication center of grace, center of grace to the lost, education center of grace to the found, the word of his grace. We find the word of his grace in the book of Romans, in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Colossians. We find the richness of the glorious riches of God's grace freely given us in Christ. Paul expounds upon these. That in these are these are the truths that he taught the Ephesians. And later on he would write the letter back to the Ephesians, helping them grow in grace all the more. But the elders were to protect the word of grace were to protect the gospel of grace so that no one would come in and and distort the message would take away grace as they did in Galatia so he tells the elders in Ephesus I now commit to you to God and to the word of his grace and he says here's what the word of God's grace can do which can build you up and the word of his grace builds us up the words of his the word of grace gives us an inheritance so what builds up a church the truths of the gospel of grace uh, builds up a church it, and, and notice it's it's which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified how are we sanctified by faith by trusting in Christ the word of his grace builds up the church family gives them an inheritance among all those in the church family come to faith in Christ. They're sanctified. They're, they're made holy. So he's, he's given the elders the responsibility of protecting the church, of protecting the gospel in the church, which builds up members of the church and gives them inheritance among all who are sanctified. Paul goes on to say, while I was with you in Ephesus, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold. You yourselves know that while I was with you, these hands of mine have ministered to my own needs and those of my companions. In everything, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, 
remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when Paul had said this, he knelt down with all them and prayed, and they all wept openly as they, as they, the elders and Paul, embraced Paul and they kissed him. They were especially grieved by his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Well, the elders loved Paul, and Paul loved the elders, and he was encouraging them in this final time he would see them, and he was committing them to maintaining the good news of grace in the church in Ephesus. Now, there's one thought about Paul that I want us to see. Paul was the first church planter, and following the assignment given to him by the ascended Jesus, Paul established grace-based churches in cities all over the Roman Empire. These churches were communication centers of grace to unbelievers and education centers of grace to believers. Churches in communities, cities, neighborhoods, and villages all over the world is God's strategy to reach the people of the world. We see this in the book of Acts, and we see this in Paul's missionary journeys, and the elders of the church are there to make sure the church stays focused on the gospel of grace. Now, there's one thought about the church that I want us to see. No group of people has the potential to transform the earthly and eternal lives of others, as does the church. God's family of grace. The message of the church, which is God's grace freely given to us in Jesus, is the hope of the world. The hope of communities, the hope of schools, the hope of homes, the hope of children, teenagers, and adults. It is the hope of people who are broken and vulnerable, the lonely, the empty, the addicted. Salvation by grace in Christ and transformation by grace in Christ is the hope that we all need. It is the hope of, their, of people's salvation and their transformation. God's grace to us in Jesus is the only hope of people. Therefore, what we do as the local church matters. What the elders do matters. What the church family does matters. Our meetings matter, our ministries matter, our events matter, our prayers matter, our giving matters, our daily schedules matter, our decisions matter, our leadership matters, every day matters. Everything we do as, as the church matters because everybody needs grace. 